the wild around us. I'm Jeremy, your personal naturalist, coming to you from the Squam Lakes Natural Science Center, where we advance understanding of ecology by exploring nature. On today's episode, we have our adaptation of the day. We're going to take a nature deep dive with a friend from Michigan and look at our new and old nature noise. Today's adaptation of the day is being evergreen. We're really going to focus on the great conifer trees. When deciduous trees are brown and bare this time of year, the green conifers noticeably stand out against the background of white snow. Deciduous trees shut down for the winter. Their abscission cells blows off energy flow and the leaves are pushed away. Evergreens are the true kings of winter. Evergreens have small leaves, those needles, that are able to shed snow easily. Imagine the complications a deciduous tree would have with those giant leaves catching all of that snow and ice. Look closely at the evergreen needles and notice the waxy coating that covers them. This protects the tree against many of those harsh conditions like drought, cold, wind. Holding those needles through winter may also help the evergreen trees take advantage of some of the winter thaws that happen occasionally. These adaptations allow the spectacular conifer tree to grow in many of the harshest areas on our planet, from the tops of mountains all the way down to the edge of the ocean. Today for our deep dive, I'll be interviewing conservation and education specialist Emily Burke. I'll have links to Grass River Natural Area in the show notes. I recommend you take a look at what they do a little bit more. Let's listen in. Yeah, so I'm coming to you guys from northern Michigan, um, near the Traverse City area, and work at a place called Grass River Natural Area, which is an almost 1,500-acre nature preserve, and we have a nature center um, that we do a lot of educational programming at. So we're here really to focus on porcupines and their adaptations in the wintertime. And porcupines, they're one of my favorite animals, although I could say that about a lot of the topics that we're talking about on this podcast. But in the winter, they do have to change a few things, but they're pretty hardy animals. And a lot of animals have adaptations that help them survive and combat the cold temperatures in winter. Uh, some of them leave for winter, but porcupines, they, they hunker down and, and stay right here. But how do they survive those cold temperatures? Yeah, so for all warm-blooded or endothermic animals, that's a serious concern, right, is like getting enough calories in winter when food is very hard to come by, especially for animals that eat plant material, getting enough calories and, you know, because it takes a lot of energy for warm-blooded animals to keep themselves warm um, in the cold weather. Yeah, porcupines have some pretty crazy winter adaptations, as you were saying. They eat very low quality plant material in the wintertime, mostly bark and also conifer needles, um, especially of eastern hemlock. 
because a lot of their preferred plant foods like leaves and greens aren't available in the winter. And they have some pretty awesome like digestive adaptations that help them process that really low quality, basically wood. Yeah, so uh, part of how they get under that bark is pretty crucial too. Uh, they have some pretty wild teeth and <laughs> those teeth help them get to that inner bark yeah, so I mean, that's really what they're eating, the inner bark, the cambium layer specifically. Um, and then they will eat needles and they'll eat like the new um, growth at the tips of branches. But yeah, as you can imagine, it's really hard to get a lot of nutrients from that sort of low quality material. So they uh, have a super long digestive tract. So that food spends as much time as possible in the digestive tract so that the porcupine can get as many nutrients as it can. And then they also have a little pouch, a little organ between their small and large intestine called a cecum. And that actually houses a special kind of bacteria that helps them to digest this food that's really high in fiber and cellulose. Um, and then the porcupine can harvest the nutrients. So getting energy, they got covered. Uh, how about conserving that energy? You know, being out in the cold, that's going to take a lot of energy just to stay warm. What is it about porcupines that help them just stay warm? Yeah, so a couple things. First of all, uh, you talked about conserving energy. So as you can imagine, porcupines, you know, they're, they're not very agile creatures. They're sort of bumbling. They've got relatively very short legs. They're very flat-footed. They've got this huge amount of quills. It's really hard for them to travel through uh, deep snow. They're basically like little snow plows. Um, and so they decrease their home range in the winter, something like 80 to 90% shrinkage of home range from summer to winter, just so they don't have to travel as much because traveling just uses a lot of energy for porcupines. And so they usually forage only like up to 100 meters from their den tree. They wear down these little paths throughout their territory. Their den does help them conserve heat a little bit, not in the fact that it's insulating in any way, but it does protect them from the wind. So it does uh, cut down on any any heat loss due to convection from the wind. Uh, their den is usually like in a hollow tree or a hollowed out log. Cool. So they can den in a hollow log in some rocky types er type areas. I actually have one at my neighbor's house and they're not there in the wintertime that goes into their basement. I can Ooh, follow the Yeah, trail. yeah. Rocky, rocky areas are more common as dens in New England than in, than in northern Michigan because you guys have more rocks. But I've never heard of a porcupine denning in like a basement area. Yeah, it's wild. It's like this small little window that it crawls right through, leaves some droppings on the outside of it so yeah. everyone knows who is there. Porcupines have five different types of fur, which is always really amazing to me. They have those quills, they have fur underneath their tail that kind of acts as a mat, uh, almost like a carpeting to lean up against the tree so it doesn't kind of rub wrong on the tree. And they have whiskers for helping them feel their way through those dens and, and their sense of touch to be able to find their way through a forest. But they have some fur that helps keep them warm, too. Can you tell us any, anything about that? Yeah, so they have really dense, really dense underfur that helps them stay warm. But then also their quills um, are, you know, like highly modified fur, and they're actually hollow. And so those turn out to be pretty insulating in the winter. So they sort of 
serve as a dual purpose in the winter for both protection, but also keep the porcupine pretty warm. Nice. It's like deer hair. Deer have hollow yeah. hair. Right. Helps keep right. Warm. Great. So we know about what porcupines eat. We know about how they conserve their energy through staying warm with their fur, with the den. We know that they make trails. Uh, well, Emily, you've told us a lot of great information about porcupines, and um, I'm hoping that that encourages people to keep an eye out for some of the different signs, uh, like the trails. Is there anything else that we could look for when we're out looking for porcupines? Yeah, great question. So winter is an awesome time to look for porcupines because um, you can find those trails really easily. And because porcupines have such a small home range in winter that if you see any porcupine sign, it's very likely that a porcupine is very nearby. In addition to those trails, if you are able to see individual tracks of porcupines, they're pretty distinctive in that they're quite pigeon-toed and they're very flat-footed, you know, about like three to four inches long. Um, but also feeding sign is really pretty obvious for porcupines in the winter. So you can see these things called nip twigs, which I was talking about, they like to eat the very um, tips of twigs, but they're pretty heavy and pretty large bodied. And so it's hard for them to get all the way out to the very tips of those branches. So they tend to like nip off the very tips at a really clean 45 degree angle. And then, you know, say it's a hemlock twig, they'll eat the needles and maybe like the very end of the twig, that really green, fresh part, and then they'll drop them. So you can often find those nip twigs with those very clean 45 degree angle bites littering the ground, um, especially under, you know, hemlock stands. But then also, like we talked about, they eat bark, right? So a lot of times you'll see trees that are like partially debarked and porcupines leave these really cool patterns with their teeth where they sort of anchor their upper incisors in the bark and then they like scrape with their lower incisors in an arc. And so it makes sort of like these teepee shapes where like the upper incisors were the top and then the lower incisors sort of scrape in a little triangle. Let's see what else. Oh yeah, scat mountains at the base of hollow trees. Um, yeah, because porcupines use dens over and over often winter after winter. And so a lot of times there's this huge buildup of scat at the base of um, a hollow tree den. Very cool. Well, we'll all be keeping our eyes open for all of the different sign that we could look for for porcupine. So uh, Emily, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing all of this cool stuff and have fun out there trudging through the snow. Yeah, thanks. Let's get right into nature noise. Last week, I played you this sound. This was obviously way too easy for this crowd. So it was a barred owl, as many of you noted. And owls use hooting as communication to convey several different messages. It could be to claim a territory and fend off any would-be intruders. They'll also signal the presence of a predator. And sometimes it might even be to communicate between mated pairs. Now, this is the classic hoot that I think of here in New England of 
an owl calling at night, right? This is the one that you go out and you listen for, and they make that sound that says, who cooks for you? Who cooks for you all? Our new nature noise is going to be a little bit more tricky. I think you all need uh, some added difficulty. I will give you a clue. This sound probably wouldn't be heard by this age of animal in the wild. And that's it. That's the clue. Here's the noise. So please do, if you have any guesses, feel free to email me at jeremy.phillips at nhnature.org, and that email's in the show notes as well. Or if you are out and you record some noise in nature, could be an animal, could be the wind blowing in the trees, feel free to send that noise off to me at the same email. Once again, that's jeremy.phillips at nhnature.org. And that is the show for today. Don't forget to get out and enjoy the wild around you. 